Amen. What a great miracle we're walking through with that. Just so you know, we had been uh, a little bit stuck with a fireproofing issue over the last number of weeks. And I just want you to know that it's now been approved and we are now moving forward. So praise God for that. As soon as we get the exact details and the time frame, we'll let you know uh, about when the construction will be complete and when our move-in date will be. So uh, I'll get you that as soon as I have it, all right? Why don't you grab the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill-in-the-blank there on the top of your sheet with just a thought. And the thought is this. God is infinite. Therefore, whatever picture you have of him is a reduction to connect with you. What that means is, is that we couldn't handle all of it. And so every time God interacts with his creation, he has to shrink himself. The good thing about that is, praise the Lord, that we actually get to interact with our God. The negative to that is that when he reduces himself, we tend to think that's all he is. Anytime you see God, there's more. Anytime you interact with God, there's more. Anytime that you learn elements about his nature, there's more. As a matter of fact, there's so much more that the angels who see him in his glory, the angels who have been with him for who knows how long, are still impressed every moment. He's so impressive that throughout all of eternity, we will be continually amazed and learning about his nature. Therefore, it seems rather silly for us here in this limited life with this limited brain space to think that we know everything there is to know about God. And I would suggest this to you. That if your mind is not continually blown by God, you're not looking close enough. I would suggest to you that the normal Christian life is to constantly be saying, I'm sorry, what? I didn't know that. I, I think that we should continually be challenged and feel like God is re-racking our paradigm. I think that he's so infinite that we should always be thinking to ourselves, really? That's how it works? And if we are not doing that, if you have not been amazed since college, we have a problem. Somehow you are limiting your view of God. Somehow you're not looking deep enough or you're not allowing your boundaries to be expanded to include all of him. So I would encourage you to walk in Christianity in such a way that you are constantly learning and impressed by your Lord. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God's nature demands mystery. God's nature, he is deity. By definition, you don't get to get your arms wrapped around him. By definition, he is unknowable in his totality. Therefore, God's nature demands mystery. We're about to walk into a historical story where everybody has a million questions about what's going on. We're going to come to a tomb... And it's empty. There's no body there. But what does that even mean? If you just watch your best friend, if you just watch your savior, if you just watch your king be crucified, 
and you just followed the guys who took down the body, you saw it was lifeless, and it was placed into a tomb, and then the tomb was sealed, and now it's open and he's gone, what does that mean? Sure indicates something happened, right? Was that something good or was that something bad? That's what they're coming into contact with. Let's go ahead and begin our time together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to combine those, throw it up on the screen. It looks like this. Now, after the Sabbath, that's Friday evening to Saturday evening, Jesus died on a Friday. Now, after the Sabbath, very early, while it was still dark on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, and you're going to find out there were some other women there as well, at least a group of four, maybe five. They bought spices probably on Saturday evening so that they might go and anoint Jesus. At early dawn, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? All right, so let's, let's kind of get a, a, a feeler on, on where we're at. These women are bringing spices, which seems to me a little bizarre because the last time we talked about it was a guy named Nicodemus who's super wealthy, brought 75 pounds of spices. Dude, is that seriously not enough? That's more than most kings, right? So the whole idea that, yeah, it's fit for a king, but what are you going to do? What are you going to add to it? But the way that it says it in Greek that they wanted to anoint him means that they probably wanted to pour the spices over his head. Now, that's an honoring thing. That's an anointing thing. It's probably much more of a worship thing than it is a practical thing. And what that immediately makes me think of is the women in Jesus' earthly life that anointed him out of love. Do you remember the story about the woman breaking the very expensive vial of ointment and pouring it over his head? And we all looked and we said, wow, what extravagant love that they would spend so much money on a man that they care about. And yet these women are spending a ton of money on the man that's dead. And he apparently can't even know it or appreciate it. Their love is so extreme and extraordinary that they're even willing to go to a tomb, hang out with just his dead body, and they're still worshiping him in his death. Now they are not walking up assuming resurrection. They are there to anoint a dead body. They're not there to see a risen king. They're going to be surprised. However, just understand why they're there. And they said, practically, how in the world are we going to get inside to anoint the body? We can't open the door. Remember, it locks down into a channel. It takes multiple men to lift it back uphill. And they're thinking, that's not going to happen. Now, we know from the story that also there's temple guards that have been put in place and they had sealed the tomb with a Roman seal. The women don't even mention that. You would think that would be a bigger problem. How are we going to get them to let us near the body? But they don't say anything. Maybe they don't even know that they're there. So they got a whole bunch of problems approaching this tomb to to worship their Lord. A bunch of people are in the way. Would you push through to go worship your king? Now, obviously, you're willing to push through some of it because you're here, right? You had to push through tiredness. You had to push through getting out of bed. You had to push through getting in the cold. You had to push through getting in the car. You had to push through the whole, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, right? I mean, you're going against the laws of thermodynamics here. 
just to get here. So obviously you're willing to push through some. Are you willing to push through all? The more and more resistance that you feel in your spirit, and I tend to have far more resistance internally than externally about going to church. I've set up my whole life to clear out the fact that I need to be here, right? Y'all would know if I'm not, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you can hide. If I'm gone, everybody knows. So I've cleared out that. But internally, there's still a lot of resistance to getting there. There's a lot of resistance to worship. Sometimes, like this morning, it was easy to worship. Sometimes it's just not for me. Are you willing to push through and make sure that you worship your king? And it says, and behold, what does that mean? Seriously, check this out. All right? Seriously, check this out. There was a great earthquake. So they're on their way and an earthquake hits. Now, we've already had one earthquake. That was at the cross. We talked about when heaven touches earth, there's a shaking and a shattering. And it says, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was shimmering like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. All right, this is a cool picture right here. Right now, y'all know that I'm a kind of a superhero nerd, right? Everybody familiar with that? All right. I picture everything in the Bible like a superhero movie. So when I, here's what I imagine, right? And every time, and I can't do the action because then I just look stupid, but, but I, I, y'all need to picture it. Okay. Because if I don't have my leotard on, I can't do it. All right. So, all right. So you got to imagine, right? So the angel comes screaming down from heaven and he just hits boom, right? And all the shockwave hits out and it just radiates this earthquake and it's like God's presence is here. And he walks up to this. All the guards freak out. They become possum guards. Ah! And they just fall over, right? <laughs> then, then he's like, he's like, oh, and he goes over and he rips open the door and he's like, king, you're free to go, right? I mean, it's like the, the bodyguard special ops contingent for Jesus, right? Now, this is how I picture the Bible. That's why I like reading it, right? <laughs> right? I'm thinking, man, this is the coolest movie ever. Now, just a couple things about angels. Uh, angels serve the king. And, and I always think about them in that way. Their, their very nature is to be a servant, a messenger of, the, of God. Why are they always in white? Well, white is a color to demonstrate something. So in heaven, a lot of times you'll see that they were dressed in white. What that means is purity and righteousness. What it means is in God's presence, in heaven, we are clean. Now, we're not just kind of clean. We're all clean. And there's not a shadow. There's not a stain. There's not anything else that when Jesus gets done with you, you are purified, holy, righteous saints. That's what it means. It means that in God's sight, you are purified. You have grace upon you. Your forgiveness is deep and it has even removed any semblance or stain of sin. Right? Praise God for that. Yeah? Amen. So in heaven, when you see pictures in heaven explained in the Bible or you have a vision of heaven, usually they are trying to say something through what you see. Is it how it always looks? No, because it keeps changing and morphing. Sometimes you see angels like in the book of Ezekiel. 
they have four faces and they got wings and all kinds of crazy stuff. Is that how they always look? Maybe. I don't think so. I think that was to make a point. Sometimes you see them like in this story where they look like young men. Sometimes they look like they have a robe on. Sometimes they have something else. Well, they tend to have white for purity. But is that really what we're doomed to wear for all eternity? Does anybody look at that and go, man, fashion wise, that's a terrible choice. (laughs) Anybody going, man, you just walk up and you go, oh, I love your color of white. It looks so different than my white. Right. I mean, it's kind of one of those that sounds boring, like harps and clouds. All that stuff sounds boring to me. And I don't think that's really what heaven is all about. How do we know that not everybody is dressed in white in heaven? Because it says in Revelation, John looked and there was a massive multitude all worshiping the king. And he said, and they were from every tribe, nation and tongue. How do you know that if everyone's dressed in white? In other words, when he saw it, even though symbolically they were white, they had all their gear on from their diversity, that he knew full well that they were representing the nations that they were from. He could look out and see all the beautiful uniqueness from each and every culture that God had redeemed people from. So there was a matter of being unique in heaven And there was still an element of God saved you and you don't look like you. It's not cookie cutter. It's not sameness. It's unity and diversity. Incredible. So it says that he comes down, rolls back the rock and sits on it. Now, I, it's like he's like, woo, I flew all the way here, man. I'm exhausted. I don't know why he's sitting down on the rock. It almost just seems like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then everyone falls over and he's like, that's what I thought, right? That's what I assume he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Why did, he, why did he open the door? As a kid, I always wanted it to be like he opened the door for the king to get out. But that's actually not true. Jesus is already gone. So why did he open the door if he doesn't need to let Jesus out? Because he needs to let the witnesses in, right? So the door opening was not so the Lord's like, knock, 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 <laughs> right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not what he's doing. <laughs> going, guys, you're a little late here. Uh, anybody want to open it, right? There's no concern there because the way that it works is that the moment that 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 clock ticked over and we have the fulfillment of prophecy, he's gone. So he rips open the door, the angel does, and says, and now may all the witnesses come in and see what my king has done. It's an entryway. All right. Now we move on. It says this. And looking up, we're going back to the women who are still on their way while all this is going on. And looking up, they, the women, saw that the stone had been rolled back away from the tomb. It was very large. So the angel has no problem with this. We need to understand angels are massive and mighty. One of them slew 144,000 Assyrian warriors. So moving a rock isn't hard, right? And if those are the ones in all their power and might, and they fall down before the king, who are we? You know what I'm saying? We need to have some serious respect for the king of all creation. It says, so Mary Magdalene, when she saw something was wrong. Now, they didn't mention, and there were little possum guards laying everywhere. So when Mary Magdalene saw something was wrong, she ran. She broke from the group, took off, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who's that? 
John. Simon Peter and John, they hung out together. She bails out, goes and gets them and said to them, they, whoever they are, the bad guys, have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they laid him. The king's body is gone. Guys, you have to do something. But the other women stayed there. They're going to investigate. It says, but entering the tomb, the remaining women, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so here's how the tomb is orchestrated. There's a narrow doorway. You have to stoop and get in. And there's a front room, probably seven by seven. That front room is where you can do preparations, but you lay the body in the next chamber in. And it would have little shelves where you could lay a body down on, just kind of like um, carved out alcoves of rock. And so you'd lay a body there, or you could lay a body here, or you could lay a body here. Jesus would have been laid on the easiest one to reach, because remember, they had to get in, lay him down, and get out. So they get in, they would lay him on the first one that you could see through the doorway. So they come in, they step into that front area of preparation, and they can't see a body. Now, remember, they were there when the body was laid to rest. They know he should be there. They also know it's a brand new tomb, and there's no other bodies in there. So if he's not there, nobody's there. It says, while they were perplexed about this, seriously, check this out. Two men just show up. Now, guy on the rock is gone. They didn't even see guy on the rock. Now, two men just show up in the tomb in dazzling apparel. We know that they are from heaven. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground in reverence, the men, or we know them to be angels, said to the women, do not be afraid. The Bible says do not be afraid a lot. Why? Because people are afraid a lot. (laughs) Right? If you see an angel, it's scary. You're going to hit the deck because they can wipe you out in a moment, right? So there's a matter of reverence. Do not be afraid. It's not necessary for you to fear because we're here on your side. Don't worry about it. You're all right. Do not be afraid for I, the speaking angel said, I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Now he could have said all kinds of stuff. I know that you seek the anointed one. I know that you seek the Messiah. I know that you seek the king of all creation. I know that you seek the second person of the Trinity. He could have went super deep. What did he do? He went common. I know you seek your buddy. I know you seek your rabbi. I know you seek the one that you love the most. I know you want Jesus of Nazareth. I know he died. I know you're heartbroken. I understand all of that. I know why you're here. Now, that is an amazing ability of relating. Angels, like I said, could come in any form. All of a sudden, they come in a form that's less scary than it could be. Why are they always shimmering? I think this is kind of cool because it's one of my dreams for Bridgeway. Why are they shimmering? Because they've been in the presence of God. You remember the story of Moses. He's hanging out with God so much that his face shimmers. His face, it, it, it talks about it radiates it glimmers and he actually had to cover it up because everyone was thought it was weird and freaky and so he had to cover it up because everyone that's all i could focus on right uh just stare at his face and he's like did you need something uh so they don't know so he puts the veil over his face and they're like anyway i was going to ask you for scotch tape and i I just why are they always shimmering 
in the presence of God, it's like you get Jesus dust on you. Meaning, like, he's so powerful, he's, he's just radiating out so much glory, it just kind of just hits you and you start to shine. Now, it doesn't mean that they did anything to shine. It just means that God just made them shine. So here come the angels. They've been in the presence of God and they just glow. Here's what I would love. I would love that we spend so much time with the Lord that when we emerge from our prayer closets, we glow. I would love for in the spirit, all the angels to look down upon our congregation and go, man, check that out. Look at that. They're just emanating the glory of God. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to us just being about our own worlds, about our own kingdom, living our own lives, filled full of distraction, how awesome would it be that we are so soaked in God, we emerge like Moses? You know what I mean? I believe that there's a difference it makes when you're with God. You know, we sang this song this morning. When you walk into the room, right? Everything changes. Man, right there, you begin to see that when Jesus is there, it just changes you. And if he dwells within us, then when we walk into the room, everything changes. I need you to understand that the one that you carry within you is mighty and wonderful. And he changes situations because you came in. I think sometimes we downplay that. And I think that we always feel like we're the underdogs and that we're always walking into darkness and, oh no, are we going to be all right? I don't think any flashlights feel like, "Uh uh-oh, this one's pretty dark. (laughs) Don't you think that flashlights kind of go, bring it. What do you got? Because I got more, right? And I wonder whether or not that should be our identity, that we look and we go, is this place dark? I'm here now. That means the Holy Spirit is here now. And that means everything changes. Uh, That's powerful, right? It says, As they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the angel said, Do not be afraid. I know why you're here. Look at the next passage. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Meaning, why are you here? Well, we're here to see the Lord. Yeah, but he's not here. Why would you look for him here? This is a strange place. You're looking for him in defeat. No, no, that's not where he lives. He lives in victory. All right. He is not here in the grave for he has been raised is actually the Greek. It's passive. He has been raised by the father or he has risen just like he said. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they went, oh yeah, I remember that. Wouldn't it be nice if truth just stuck? Wouldn't it be nice that what you hear today is true on Monday? Wouldn't it be nice that if if you read in scripture and it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made that God knit you together in your mother's womb, that what you are designed is not an accident, but it's on purpose, that, that who he made you to be is a unique expression of him that this generation, that this time, that this location must have, and that's why you're here. 
Wouldn't it be nice to know that you have infinite value because you are a design and a poema, a masterpiece of God? Wouldn't it be nice to hear that and actually believe that? Like tomorrow. Wouldn't it be nice that when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, wouldn't it be nice to actually hang on to that and believe it? Because we always feel abandoned. Wouldn't it be nice that if the Bible says that you are forgiven and that you walk under grace, that that would somehow have an impact on your self-condemnation problem on Wednesday? And, and it seems like we can't hang on. Our truth isn't sticky enough. And so we have to continually be reminded. This is the same thing going on here. Hey, do you remember when Jesus told you everything that was exactly going to happen? And they're like, no. <laughs> well, you've got to pay attention, kids. You've got to write this stuff down, right? It says this, come see the place where he lay. And then they saw a young man. Now he's now sitting where Jesus should have been. Now, is this a third guy? This tomb is getting super crowded. It's not very big. Now we have all these women. Now we got three angels. We got all kinds of craziness, right? So they're all jammed up in there. They saw a young man sitting on the right side where Jesus' body would be. And he was dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed because men keep popping up. And he said to them, see the place where they laid him. Come here, check it out. Here's what I love about this. God invites investigation. He's not worried about, man, this miracle happened. Don't look too closely. Woo, right? It's, don't look behind the curtain. Nothing's going on here, right? It was, he's not trying to fake the whole thing. He goes, look, it's legitimate. Look at it. He's gone. You can investigate it all you want. You want to play with the cloths? What do you want to do? Right? But just, I need you to own this. I need you to know it. So let me tell those of you that are new, or maybe some of you that are skeptical, go ahead and bring all your heat against Christianity. It can withstand your investigation. Go ahead, ask any questions you want to ask. Christianity is not going to shatter because you're brilliant. God can handle it. And not only that, but it's not offensive to him that you would ask the questions in order to own it. Now, if you're just being a jerk, that's a different story. There's a certain place where after you ask a bunch of questions, it's almost like the little kid's game of why. Why? 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 They're not even saying why like they want to know the answer. They're saying why because they like to hear themselves talk. That's how we are sometimes. Your questions aren't really questions. You don't even want to know the answer. You just want to hear yourself talk. Oh, look, I'm so intelligent. I came up with another question. Okay, here's my point. If you really care about the question, bring it. Ask the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Yell at the Lord. He's mature enough to handle it. Once you get through the important questions, at some point you've got to call it. Because you could spend your entire life trying to play the why game. Do you or do you not believe? All right? He said, investigate. Once you own it, look at the next line. Then go quickly and tell somebody about it. Come and see and then go and tell. Come and see, check it out, make sure it's legit. Don't pass off bad information. Come see and then get back out there and make sure everybody else knows so they can come and see, right? That's the mandate of Christianity. Come and see and go and tell. Now, what's intriguing is that a lot of us come and see and then we come and see and then we come and see then we come and see. 
There's not a lot of go and telling, right? Hmm. Go quickly and tell his disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. And behold, seriously, check this out. I love that. He is going before you to Galilee. There you're going to see him just like he told you. See, I have told you. Why did he say, go tell the disciples and Peter? Is it because he's trying to clarify which group of disciples, right? No, no, no. The one with Peter in it. Come on. Everybody knows who the disciples are. Why does he say, and Peter? Because last time Peter saw the Lord, it didn't go very well. Do you remember the three denials? Peter is probably wondering at all times whether or not Jesus loves him anymore, whether or not he's acceptable, whether or not he's allowed to be in ministry. And yet right off the bat, the angel has a message from the Lord. Go tell Peter that we got work to do. Here's what's super cool about that. God's not living in the past. Peter is, but Jesus isn't. It's almost as if he's saying to him, hey, Peter, we're good. We got some stuff to do. Let's get to work. Yeah, but Lord, I don't know if you remember, there was three denials that I don't remember. I was right there. Uh, I looked at you. I don't know if you remember that. Um, So yeah, I'm really clear. No, 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 Lord. Like seriously, I was calling down curse. No, I know the story, right? I understand. I'm just telling you, were you sorrowful about it? Did you repent for it? Yeah, of course I did. All right. Then did I or did I not cleanse you from that? Well, yeah, you probably did. No, I didn't probably. I did. Now, if I cleansed you from it, I'm not dealing with it anymore. I'm moving on. Why do you keep looking backwards? Let's just move on on what we're doing. Yeah, but Lord, it was super serious. Okay, stop. Stop with the game. I know. My cleansing's bigger than your sin. Let's move forward. Amen? Right on. Yeah. It says, he's going to go before you to Galilee. I just told you. So they departed quickly out from the tomb, the women did, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. In other words, they couldn't handle it. They fled with fear and great joy, and they said nothing to anyone along the road, and actually it caused a big delay. They're all kind of, I don't know, maybe they went to Starbucks, talked about it for a while, right? Kind of gathered around. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, but then eventually they ran to tell his disciples a little later on. While they, the group of women, were going, seriously, check this out, some of the temple guard who had passed out and woke up, they went into the city and told the chief priests, their bosses, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the religious leaders with the elders and taken counsel for a team decision, they gave a sufficient sum of money, in Greek that's lots of silver, to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, that's a drag because you're a lousy soldier, right? Go tell everyone you failed. Now, technically, you did fail. When you saw the angel, you possumed out. So, yeah, you did fail, but it wasn't like the disciples scared you. I'd much rather say this massive angel came. Now, no one would believe me, but I'd much rather say that than the disciples came and snuck him out. I'm such a lousy soldier that a whole team of guys rolled back a rock right next to where I was sleeping. You understand how lame you look? So they paid him off a ton of money and they're like, no, 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 go with that one. And it says, and if this comes to the governor's ears, if he hears about it, if Pilate gets irritated, we will take care of him. We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Uh, that lie that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead is still going on today. All right. Have you noticed that an awful lot of silver exchanged hands to try to shut Jesus down? Isn't that what Judas got? But it didn't work. And then the guards get it, but it didn't work. Let me ask you this. How much money is being spent in the world today to shut down Jesus and Christianity? Trillions. How's it working? It's not fixing it. All right. So meanwhile, Mary Magdalene reaches Peter and John and tells them. So Peter gets up. He rose, went out with the other disciple, John, and they ran to the tomb. Now, most of this account we get from John. Here's how he says it. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Was that necessary? He's like, dude, I'm just being real. I'm just saying, man, that guy is slow, right? And and if I'm going to write down this account, I'm just going to say I'm faster. (laughs) And stooping to look in, he saw, that's one word in Greek. It means he observed what was going on. He observed the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now, either it was out of deference to Peter, who was the leader, kind of like, well, I'm going to let him make the call here, whether that was a concern for defilement, or maybe it was just his personality is that he was a little bit more hesitant. We don't know. But then Simon Peter came following him. That's number two. He just says it again. And then I waited for him. (laughs) Peter, stooping and looking in with no hesitation, walks right into the tomb. He saw, that's a different word in Greek. It means he carefully looked at the evidence. He saw the linen cloths lying there by themselves and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not even lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself, organized. Why is this so important? Is it merely to show that Jesus knows how to do laundry? He's like folding it. He's like, guys, hey, before we go here, hold on a second. The military's taught me one thing, and it's how to fold, right? No, it's because grave robbers don't organize, right? So it's not a chaotic crime scene. It's an organized departure. That's kind of the point, all right? Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, (laughs) number three, (laughs) also went in to check it out. And he saw a third different Greek word, meaning he understood what was going on. He saw and he believed. He knew that his Jesus had resurrected from the dead. For as yet, they did not understand the scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies and Christ's words to them that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes marveling at what had happened. In other words, trying to figure it all out. All right. Here they are with all of these questions. It's so messy. It looks hopeful. It looks like I think Jesus is here. Some people are going, no, I don't think so. There's doubts. There's the women are going, man, I'm seeing angels, but I still don't see my Lord. And, and I feel like everything's prepped for hope, but we don't have any proof yet. Not until we see Jesus. All right. That is how a lot of miracles go. Do you remember I've invited you into this process a long time ago? If you're new to the church, let me bring you up to speed about one of our elder sons who went ill. That was Trevor. Trevor's a teenager. Um, A while back, last year, um, he went 
from what we thought was a healthy young man, but he actually wasn't. He had a distended stomach and he had an oversized spleen and he had a liver that was destroyed and he had problems with the plumbing between the two of those two things. And he had all kinds of issues in his intestines. We didn't know that, but all of a sudden he goes in and now I go to see him in one of those clean rooms where the door kind of seals shut behind you and you're not allowed to have other people in the room, right? And I remember questioning whether or not he was going to make it. Yet in that room, when we began to pray, God gave us a sense that he was doing something, that he was moving in that place. And I had less fear than I would normally. And I remember coming out of that, the doctors were going to try to look at it and they couldn't figure it out and they kept misdiagnosing, misdiagnosing. And then they eventually found out it was cirrhosis of the liver and that it was ulcerative colitis and it was all these uh, connections. The connections between the two were so distended that if they were on the edge of rupturing, so he couldn't do anything. He couldn't travel. He couldn't go anywhere because if they rupture, he'll bleed out and die. So they had to have him close to a hospital. Well, for a young man, that's That's really frustrating. So I've been giving you updates along the way, and I told you, here's what a miracle looks like when it's messy. And so we've been giving updates along the way, so I have a new update for you. This is uh, what uh, last night Lane and Shanna were here, and he gave me this update. Following the diagnosis last year, the doctors immediately started to treat his condition with a combination of medicines that would hopefully get his ulcerative colitis into remission and help his liver condition at the same time. It was a long shot from a medical perspective, and the doctor said it only works a small percentage of the time. So if you remember, uh, when we prayed, he got stabilized, and then things started to go better, but they were going to try some treatments that were kind of one of those maybe 1%, 5 percenters, right? And so we kept praying, Lord, do something here. They placed him on hold from traveling and advised us to stay close to medical services in case he has any major bleeding that can result from the disease. We are happy to report that Trevor went in last week for a checkup and medical procedure to perform a biopsy on his colon, and the ulcerative colitis is in remission, and his liver and spleen swelling has been reduced significantly. In addition to that, the overall health of his liver remains strong. He has been cleared to travel, and the doctors encouraged us to resume a normal lifestyle. The only remaining restriction is no contact sports due to the slightly swollen spleen. Now, when you go from death's door to normal lifestyle, that's awesome. Uh, I just also talked to Lane on text last night, and he said, we just got back from the UC, uh, Stanford. We just got back from there, and they said, not only do we not need to see him every month, he's doing so good, we don't need to see him but once a year. Let's go check up. That's incredible. <clears throat> May God finish what he began. He began a good work in Trevor. And it would be nice when you go, well, come on, he's back to normal. I get it. But he still has a slightly swollen spleen. And for a young man, that's still frustrating. God, may you finish your miracle that you began. So we're going to pray about that. But here's what I want to do. So much hope looks like a resurrection. No proof yet just like the story. If you have been talking with the Lord about something going on in your life that has been hurting you, debilitating you, it's been hard, but God has been talking to you saying, I'm working here. I know it's messy. 
I know it's taking too long in your mind, but I'm in this. If you feel like that is you, we're going to pray for God to finish the miracle today. I need you to stand up if you can. If not, you can just raise your hand to the Lord. I totally get that. But if you could stand up, we would like to pray for you. God's been moving. All right. If you are not standing, you are now an intercessor. Right? Which means that if God highlights somebody around you, there's a reason why you're sitting in the area that you're sitting in. Uh, I want you to pray and I want you to shield and intercede for the person next to you. If God does not highlight anyone, what I want you to do is I want you to pray in general for the atmosphere. I want you to pray, Lord, move in this place in a mighty way. Now, I need you to know this before we pray. God is more than able. Do you believe that? God is more than able. What stands against you is not difficult. If God can raise the dead, what are you facing that's more significant than that? You're not dead yet. Therefore, it's not as difficult as the tons of people he's raised from the dead. God is more than able. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I was talking to you all during worship and asking you to lay a foundation for the miraculous today. And what we are praying for, Father, is that you would finish the beautiful work that you began. That, God, we have seen indicators and movement in our lives. We have watched you advance us forward. And then, Lord, it feels like we either slip backward or things just stalled out. And, Lord, we have to admit, we don't bring to the table very much faith because we've talked about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, and it seems like there was no movement. And yet, Lord, every time we prayed, you laid a foundation and another foundation, another foundation for you to do your work. Therefore, we have come here, we have been drawn here by your presence to be able to be in the throne room that you might release your healing power over us, that you would complete what you began. God, for some of us, it is emotional. For some of us, the emotional destruction that we have had is so hard that our heart and our mind and our emotions are in pieces. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, you put it back together. We pray, Lord, that you would knit hearts together in the deepest place. We know that you've been healing us in layers and it just keeps getting greater. And we know that you're working on stuff we're not even paying attention to. And so we submit to your will. Father, if it is physical, we pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that healing would be released in this place and right now all over the place one after another of healing Lord you know where we need to be healed you know when we need to be healed and if that moment is right now may it be right now that in the name of Jesus Christ all cancer is brought under submission to your name that all the renegade cells in our bodies would align with heaven that they are not allowed to do whatever they want to do, that the enemy is not allowed to do what he wants to do, that the doctors don't have the final word, but that, Father, you do. And Jesus, as our great physician, as the tremendous healer, you walk in the room and sickness starts to just flee and impossible situations cease to exist. Oh, Father, walk in our room, walk in our presence In a mighty way, Holy Spirit just began to touch all the way across us. 
Father, if it is mental, if we have issues Lord, of mental illness, if we feel like our chemical levels are upset, if we feel like there's anxiety and depression and schizophrenia and all that, I pray, Lord, that you would make our minds right in right order. I pray, Father, that just like the demoniac in Scripture, at the end of that story, he was in his right mind. Father, you have said that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Your word says that all will bow before you. That includes disease, sickness, mental illness. Father, if it is addictions right now, I pray that you would snap the final chain. That Lord, that we have pressed through, we can't even imagine what it's like without it, but you can. So Father, as your masterpiece, may it not have a smear on it. May it be beautiful all the way through. May your tapestry not be torn or ripped. May it be perfectly knit together. May our lives be ordered according to your will. We ask for you to begin to touch our legs, our intestines, our minds. Touch our arms, touch our feet. Touch our emotions and our spirit. Holy Spirit, just walk right through us and pull out all the yuck and incinerate it in Jesus' name. Fill back in and release upon us health and vitality and strength and your power. And we will glorify you because you are the only one that can and the only one that does. You are high and lifted up here. This is a beautiful opportunity for you to be glorified and for us to be in awe. Would you release your power in this place? We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your touch. We thank you that you know how to handle this better than we do. We thank you that you're a good father and a great shepherd. We thank you that you're a righteous king. And so, Father, do your will right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Have a wonderful day. We have our prayer team up here that would love to pray more with you. If you need a little bit more prayer, just saturating with God, then by all means, come on up here and we will see you next week.